Oh, you know what? Okay, first of all, we've been knock on wood. We've been really fortunate that that short of minor injuries, we've never had a major injury. Sorry, I don't have any blood guts and gory stories to share, but I, I can guarantee that almost every single person that crosses the finish line is bleeding from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Gotta Run Racing Podcast with your hosts, Norman and Jody. Discover the inspiring stories of the average and not-so-average runners. And they're off. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. How about you? I'm all right. It's uh, getting better weather for running. Finally, yes. Finally. Speaking of which. <laughs> yes. I have a story. For all of our listeners. Mm, what happened to you on one of the runs? <laughs> well, we like to run on some side roads in the wintertime that are less traveled, right? Yeah. Yep. So we travel to Mono Township, which is just beside us, and we pick a side road and then we run up and down the lines because there's some pretty good vert. So it was a... One of the nicer days that we've had this spring. It was exciting. The sun was out. I said, okay, this is going to be a great run. And I was only going to go for about 45 minutes. I park on the side of the road and I'm warming up. And I hear a car behind me and I look and I see a minivan blasting through the stop sign. He ha I think the speed limit there is maybe 70. Yeah, it's 70. He had to be doing 90. Through the stop sign. I'm like, holy crap, I'm glad I wasn't running, hadn't started my run at this point. So that's strike one. <laughs> okay, just seeing that. <laughs> just just seeing that. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. So I'm running, and I go all the way to the end, which is Highway 9, and I'm turning around. Okay, when you're running on the road, you face traffic. Of course. Okay, of course. let's explain that. It, of course I face traffic. Yep. And it's a two-lane side road yep. with... With decent shoulder. Yeah. So this is not a skinny side road. Okay. All right? Yeah. As I'm running back towards the car, I see a car coming towards me, and I think there was two women inside, and they, in front of me, like a couple hundred meters, they stop. And I thought, okay, what are they doing? Are they turning around? Are they waiting for me to pass them? Like... If you saw someone coming toward you and you were going to do a U-turn or you were going to stop to check something, wouldn't you do it after the obstacle in front of you instead of before? Meaning you being the obstacle. I'm the obstacle, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would obviously pass the runner and then and do then what I need to do. do what I need to do. Whoa. Okay, fine. They didn't. So whatever. I keep going. So that's strike two? It's two. <laughs> now keep in mind. This is a 45-minute run on a side road. Uh -huh. I have seen, yeah. at this point, on this side road, two cars. So already one of them is doing something weird, in my mind. Okay. Number three. Yeah. I see a pickup truck coming towards me. And he is in my lane. Like, I'm talking against the shoulder. So now you have to adjust. So now I'm thinking... Okay, is he gonna is he gonna pull out into the center? I look behind me. There's no cars coming, so he it's not like he couldn't. So, within fifty meters of me, mm -hmm. he pulls more into the shoulder, and then he does a quick swerve out. Basically, attempting to hit you. Yes. So it felt like to me, attempted murder. He was gonna do <laughs> one of these like sideswipe and then to scare me or whatever. Which has happened to me many times. And what I actually did, because when I saw him coming towards me and he didn't start to move out, I stopped. Because I thought, okay, do I need to dive into the ditch? Like, what do I need to do here? And it really pissed me off because I'm thinking, guys, I'm one little five foot three person and you can't figure out how to safely go around me without making a big deal of it? On a two-lane On a two-lane road, road. And no with other car. no other car coming. Right. So he had all the time, all the All, all the, space. the room in the world. Yeah, to, to, to make his move. To make his move. Yeah. And, and, and instead he went towards you. Right. Interesting. So now I'm pissed. Okay. Whoa, so whoa, whoa, whoa. I finish my run. <laughs> I get back in my car. Yeah. And this is the road where I go pick up eggs from the farmer. Okay. So I go back towards the direction I was running. Yeah. I pull in. Now, I forgot to mention this. 
I looked at his license plate. And his license plate was a vanity plate, and it was easy to remember. Okay. So I thought that could come in handy. <laughs> so I, I get to the farmer's. Guess what? Oh, the license plate's there. The license plate's there, <laughs> and he's talking to the farmer. So I'm sitting in the car going, okay, if I don't say anything, I'm going to be mad at myself. Yep. I need to just let him know how what he did, how it made me feel. Yeah, okay. Okay? Because he probably does it many times. So I get out of the... And by the way, that day, I was wearing gray tights, a blue long sleeve, and my orange Nathan vest. On a sunny day. On a sunny day. Okay. I get out of the car. I said, excuse me. I was the runner that you just passed on the road there. That you almost sideswiped. That you almost hit. And I'd like to know why you did that. And he goes, well, you weren't that bright. <laughs> and I'm thinking... Okay, did he just insult my intelligence? But he proceeded to say, I couldn't see you that well. I said, I was wearing a bright orange vest. Well, I was trying to dodge the potholes. So he felt that protecting his car was better than uh, killing someone. I guess. <laughs> I said, well, when you decided to swerve towards me before you went around me, it scared the crap out of me, mm -hmm. and I did not appreciate that. Mm -hmm. He didn't know what to say. Did you pick up your eggs? I did. <laughs> I got my eggs, and I got the hell out of there, and I was madder than hell. Yeah. That happens to us quite often. It, when, when cars don't look one way, only they only look one right, way and not the other because we're running towards traffic. They, right. They do not see that something is coming on a direction that they normally would not turn their head to see right. when they're pulling out of driveways. But the other thing, too, is the fact that they're protected behind steel and they're going way faster than we are. So for us to make an adjustment when we don't know what they're going to do, it's like you have to predict what the car's going to do, which is why half the time I stop because I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do. I need to be prepared to head into the ditch. What sometimes I do when that happens is I, is I put my arms way out, exaggerating, saying, okay, like, yeah. What is your move? Yeah. I'm right here. Yeah. Is this going to be a hit and run or what? Right. And then they, I don't know what the, they, It's like it wakes them up and then they move over. But sometimes I get um, honking or yes. they roll down the window and curse. Sometimes when I'm running facing traffic and it's a blatant someone on a two lane road cross the center and now behind me, like he's coming behind me crossing the center line to swerve to try to scare you scare you I, I, obviously he's not he doesn't want to hit me that's stupid but to scare me and then go back on his side of the road and i'm like that's happened to you twice hasn't it yeah it's like really <laughs> like why and, it, and it's hey you can't beat us join us so therefore <laughs> become a runner and you'll understand what we're doing well everybody listening probably understands and this is why i prefer to be on the trails but but seriously, I, I picked the side roads. Because it's, it's less traffic. Less traffic. So out of the five cars I saw in 45 minutes, three of them did something suspect. Yeah. And also for all the drivers out there who honk their horn right beside oh you. Oh my God. Just to, even if you know you, just to get your attention, say, hey, Norm or Jody, it's me, it's whoever. Yeah. That alone scares you. It does. And your mother did that to me one time and I almost <laughs> flipped the bird at her. <laughs> And I had to tell her later, don't do that. <laughs> don't honk your horn to get my attention. Tell me later in the day, say, hey, that was me driving by, blah, blah, blah. Right. Or just say it out the window. <laughs> hey, Norm. <laughs> but that even long because you're in the zone and then all of a yes, sudden, yes. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's the road running situation that we do deal with yeah. as runners oh my gosh now can you imagine cyclists i i can't and <laughs> you know what for this exact reason is why i don't bike on the road i don't bike because on the road. i don't have confidence cycling so yeah. i want everyone to go around me like give me 10 feet yeah, yeah. which i can't expect and they won't do so it. i don't i don't i just don't and i also don't cycle on the road anymore no like lionel sanders our number one canadian triathlete Refuses to ride or train on the road. That's strictly right. on a trainer until race day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't say that I can blame him. Now, that'd be nice if we could just 
train on a treadmill and start right today? No, we can't. No, we can't. <laughs> All right. All right. There's your event for today. There and it is. Who is on the podcast today? Today we have Andrew Fairhurst. Mm-hmm. He's an ultra runner, adventure racer, and co-race director of Meet the Minotaur Sky Race, which takes place in June in Crow's Nest Pass, Alberta. It's a 33.5K route, 2,900 meters of elevation gain, and a 12-hour time limit. 12 hours to run 33K. What does that tell you? Mm, that uh, sounds like this is a serious uh, up and over yeah, sure <laughs> does. situation. And it's the only North American qualifier for the Skyrunner World Series. Wow. How did he get this on the Skyrunning yeah, radar? Let's find out. Well, without further ado, here is Andrew coming up. Welcome, Andrew, to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, you guys. Before we dive into your race directing, I understand, well, let's go back to your ultra running. I understand that you and I did the Canadian Death Race back in 2005, and I'm wondering if we did that race for the same reason, we're trying to get away from adventure racing. Can you tell us about that? No, yeah, it, um I got into sport originally, like with running actually. So I was just like back in grade five, joining the little track team and everything like that. And cross country running was like one of my favorite things to do, being outside in the forest. And then um, that actually evolved sort of when I finished high school into mountain bike racing. And then uh, I enjoyed that. And I I still like to run. Like it was like, I used to tell people, I like, I love mountain bike racing, but I really like running. And um, (laughs) so that naturally evolved into adventure racing. It was sort of like the nineties when, the Eco Challenge was on television. And oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All these opportunities to start popping up with like little 24-hour races. And then, yeah, you probably remember the Rate the North Extreme series in Canada and stuff. And like, man, this is just like, this is unbelievable. This is so much fun to do and evolved into adventure racing. And then, and then sadly, that sort of started tapering off. But I think ultra running started coming about the scene. And I'm like, oh, I may as well give that a go. And Sure enough, I'm standing at the start line in 2005 of the Canadian death race and <laughs> looking at all of these like runners around me and everything. And wow, this is kind of intimidating. And one guy just leaned over. He's hey, have you ever done an ultra marathon before? I'm like, no, this is my first time <laughs> ever doing an ultra marathon. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, but you've done a marathon before. I'm like, no, I've never done a marathon before. <laughs> and he's like, well, what's your half marathon time? I'm like, uh, I don't even have a half marathon time. To <laughs> and he had me, he had me so nervous going up the start line. But you know what? It 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 was a still a fun race, great experience, and it, and it came together for me that day. So absolutely, after you won it. Uh, I did win the race. Yeah, that was um, I was yeah maybe just sheer determination and luck, and uh, <laughs> a lot of lessons there afterwards for sure in terms of nutrition. Uh, it's not a good idea to eat a loaded. Uh, three-layer meat Subway sandwich halfway through the race, which it, uh, <laughs> I sadly lost that on leg four going up Hamill. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was, yeah, honestly, it definitely, that that race uh, sort of opened my eyes to, to well, not only the ultra running sport, but um, just uh, maybe more of a, like an eye-opener to trail running and trail racing. And uh, yeah, just it, it sort of went from there. And a, a bit of history from that, it was actually driving home from that race where my wife and I had just purchased a property in Crow's Nest Pass where we now live as a recreational property and she looked over to me and she's like we should start a race like that in our community and uh, ah. uh, one of your previous guests Brian Gallant he was my previous business partner so he and I worked together and, and created Sinister 7 Ultra Marathon, which uh, is still a hugely successful event today with uh, with runners from all around the world attending so Absolutely. it was cool how one little experience like that can lead to, uh, yeah, some life changes. Do you know how that guy did that was asking you all the questions? Did you follow I up? I don't know how he did. No, I like I tried to put him out of my mind at about kilometer twenty. So I'm like, that guy's just distracting me. So <laughs> I think too nervous. Nor maybe it was you. <laughs> that's that's why I said you look familiar. That's right. <laughs> well, it couldn't have been Norm because that was his first ultra. That was also my first ultra. <laughs> that was very, that's so, that's pretty cool. When I heard you say that at another podcast, wow, that's, yeah, kind of a cool thing. And then your adventure racing background, I'm like, yeah, this is like my long lost brother. <laughs> we were so obsessed with Eco Challenge. Yeah. So obsessed. Yeah. It was such a great show. 
It was. Yeah. And unfortunately, it kind of went by the wayside. Well, but when they started bringing in um, Playboy Darth, Darth Vader and the Playboy bunnies, <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> I know. It started to lose its appeal to me at that point. Uh, you know, it became a reality stuff. show. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was, uh, it was a good experience. Death Race. Now, it's been 20, almost 20 years. Would you ever consider going back and, and see what you can it's do? It's funny you ask I did hear a podcast from uh, just listening to you guys here recently where you're you're entertaining the idea of going back at some point, but I know that you guys like to always do new races in different places. And, uh, yeah. and it's kind of like my, probably similar again, um, another long lost brother trait, but I always like to try and dabble and do different new things, but there is an attraction to going back to the Canadian death race one day only because it was my first ultra. And uh, yeah, I just think it'd be cool to say like, well, how old would I have been like, maybe 29 or 30 years old and thinking about doing it. Hey, could I try that again and see, see how it goes? But yeah. Maybe you and I should go back as a, a team. I really <laughs> like two person team. And the, that's a good idea. I like that. There you go. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And Brian, your buddy is now the race director. Is that right? He is. Yeah. It, um, uh, shortly after I left, uh, he and his, I can't recall if he had another partner that time, if he was on his own, but they, they did acquire the Canadian death race. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. What year did you guys start Sinister Seven? We were testing my memory there. I want to say it was 2008 was our first Sinister Seven ultra marathon. And, uh, I remember we had probably 145 people at the start line, which we were like elated for. That's and, great. Yeah. <laughs> we had this like uh, rickety old Stark gantry that we sort of threw together. And um, I, I won't say we were flying by the seat of our pants, but we, at that point, we honestly had no idea that it would grow into what it did. But um, it is kind of cool looking back at actual printed photographs of, of those days when we were having our award ceremony and there's a small audience left behind and everything to, to what it is today for sure. Absolutely. Now, what brought you to race it yourself in 2017? Oh, okay. The cat's out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> After selling Sinister 7 or moving on from that and uh, and just, well, I, it was something I was super passionate about. It's like, I, I knew that I sort of go into things with a five-year phase. I'm like, I'm going to give this a five-year chance. And I was with Sinister 7 for longer than that. But there's a part of me that always wanted to run the event, having helped to create the course and put the, the product together, I thought, wow, this would be a fun race to do. But as, as you know, as race directors, running your own race is near impossible. You just can't do it. So uh, I thought, well, the only way I'm going to be able to do this one day is if I'm no longer involved. So mm -hmm. it, once I uh, had parted ways, I, uh, I thought, okay, I got to get signed up. And sure enough, I was going to the start line of Sinister 7 on the morning of race day, which was pretty exciting for sure. Yeah. And how did it go? Uh, pretty good. It was it was a really hot day. It might have been actually one of the hottest years on record for the Sinister 7. And uh, so I was fortunate to know the course really well. It's in my backyard and I helped with, with putting it together. So I think I was laying down in every single creek crossing, fully emerging my body to cool it off. And it did go really well. I, I, I managed to yeah podium in that event and yeah, check it off the bucket list as, <laughs> as being complete. That's cool. I would love to think that one day we'd be able to run a race that we created, but the only way we would do it is the same way you, is if you were yeah. no longer involved in the event and then you were able to do it because obviously there's just no way to well, run. <laughs> well, we've run our courses several oh, times. Oh, several times. Several yeah, times. Yeah, of but course. never on a race day. Never on race day. No. Yeah, yeah can't imagine that. <laughs> no, it, uh, it, it, yeah. it, it'll happen one day. So we'll have to hand the reins off to somebody to run with things. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. In 2017, that's the year that Elsa McDonald ended up winning it. Is that right? Overall, yeah. She just killed it. So it's, <laughs> I know you guys have chatted with her, but she's she's an absolute animal. She just, uh, yeah. I think she was running backwards watching us trying to catch up to her. <laughs> <laughs> Would you ever consider doing a 100-miler again? Oh, absolutely. I would. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, the answer is yes, I would definitely. Yeah. But I, but not the Sinister 7 only because of, yeah, I want to try something different and run somewhere in, in new places. So I, uh, yeah, anytime I'm trying to think about a new race to do each season, it's usually trying to like go somewhere different. Yeah. This year I'm hoping to go down to Colorado in September to run the, uh, this event called Devil on the Divide. Oh, um, yeah. Just, uh, it's a 50 K so it'll be, 
yeah, it's not a hundred mile view, but but good high elevation and just really good reviews for being such a beautiful course. So I'm excited to to see what that looks like. I have to say, the star of your Instagram is definitely your border collie Cedar. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he should probably have his own Instagram account, and I should maybe step down from the platform. He's a <laughs> he's honestly he's our third border collie as a family for Aaron and I, and um, but just a truly incredible breed for for people that like to be active outside and uh well he's the smartest person in the house so he run the show but uh just a really good breed for being outside super obedient like respectful of of wildlife other trail users etc so it's uh it's pretty awesome to have And, and of course their endurance is far superior to mine what made you want to become a director for sinister seven um Probably, well, one, I'm so passionate about sport. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I love, I love the idea of competition. But further to that, I think I love the mountains and trails and, and that sort of outdoor environment. And, um, and then to, to extend that to answer your question specifically, it's like, because I love it so much, I want to introduce that to as many people as possible. And I think it's done so many good things in my life to, for positive outlooks and good positive lifestyle uh, respect for the environment and, and the places that we're at that I'm like what a better way to there, there's probably no better way than to introduce people to that environment than the same way that I got into it and mm-hmm. so it was more so like uh, yeah if these events exist and getting into people into places that they may not normally get to which not to segue towards Minotaur but that's really what that that type of event has done is put people into an environment that they're not typically used to and right. coming away like the the experience of seeing people cross the finish line, either with massive grins on their face or tears streaming down their face with like this, this pure joy of, I just completed that or, or whatever it might be. That, that's, when my, that's when I get all tingly inside and be like, okay, success. We, we, just, we just did something that hopefully changed someone's life. It's, exactly. That's honestly why I do it. It's, it's for the, to try and give those experiences to other people, period. Yeah. We can understand that for sure. We understand that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, Meet the Minotaur, it's the only North American sky race, sky running race. Yeah, so um, Meet the Minotaur is sort of our, we originated back in 2017 and we called it the Meet the Minotaur, but in 2020, we actually joined the Sky Runner World Series. There was a bit of an evolution between 2017 and 2020. But uh, in 2020, we decided, okay, what we're actually doing here is sky running, which has a definition. And so we thought, okay, let's see what we can do to maybe join the World Series. And we had reached out to them. There was a lot of background, of course, back and forth that had to happen. Uh, we, we got our course certified with the International Sky Running Federation. We were able to join the sky running uh, circuit. Uh, and we were the only North American stop in the Sky Runner World Series. So... And then, of course, COVID came about, so we actually never got to deliver our event for, for two years. So the, so last year, 2022, was our first official race as part of the Skyrunner World Series. How did the name come about? The Minotaur, well, that comes back to our origin, and it's just a really good question. And so I'm fortunate to be part of a really great team. I've got business partners, my wife, Erin, and our good friends, Ian and Susan, and we all bring different strengths to the table. But um, my wife is probably more on the creative side. She's a creative writer and uh, mm-hmm. graphic designer, et cetera. And she came up with the idea of Minotaur being uh, like sort of a Greek, Greek mythology when you're stuck in the maze and you had to get out and before the Minotaur got you. So our, our first races back in 2017 were actually pretty interesting. We had, we would actually have the running race start. Imagine starting at a start line, not knowing how far you're running and not knowing where you're going. And then to add to it, you'd be running through the race course and you'd come up to two signs with quick information on them. And they might be short, but vertical or long and flat. Mm -hmm. And you'd have to make a decision on two route choices all of a sudden, like immediately. And you could either take a shorter, a shorter route up and over to connect to the course that was longer, sorry, Mm -hmm. was more vertical. So it might be slower. Or you could, if you felt like flat was your strength, you could sort of contour around something and then reconnect the course. So the idea of making these decisions as you would in a maze, like, am I going to go left or am I going to go right? And it, uh, we thought it was a great business idea, but... That's a, sounds good. 
it was it was exciting. It was really cool to watch it unfold. And then, of course, people at the finish line talking about like, oh, what did you do at this labyrinth? We called them the labyrinths. So they like, oh, I did I did the up and over. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know. I I, I wasn't sure. And yeah, it just there's certainly a lot of chatter. So that that's how the the Minotaur came about. But it's such a cool name, and we love our logo that it just carried on into Minotaur Sky Race and uh, and. Minotaur Sky Race's evil little sister. We have the Mini Tour 10K, which we tout as the hardest 10K in Canada. Wow. The two events on our race day, which which play off of the, the Minotaur name. That's really cool. Yeah. Wow. Tell us about this race, the Minotaur. Explain this race to us. The course for people for, for, the, are... for the world to get to who wants to come <laughs> do this race. Go, explain this race. <laughs> okay, so this is the Minotaur Sky Race. We are, as I said, it's a 33 and a half kilometer race course. It's got 2,900 meters of climbing. So just under 10,000 vertical feet of climbing. So that's about 20,000 feet of elevation change because we start and finish right in the hub of uh, Blairmore um, in the Crow's Nest Pass. Um, unlike the other races in the series, which usually have two significant climbs, we're probably one of the, the most technical race courses in the Skyrunner World Series. We've got three prominent climbs, the first one being a 900 meter climb, like almost a full vertical kilometer wow. within the first five kilometers at the start of the race. Wow. So we definitely play on hitting a lot of the, uh, definitely play on the elevations, uh, getting up high into the mountains, like well over 2000 meters, 2,500 meters in elevation, a lot of running ridges, and very rocky technical terrain. So mm. to, to have a certified course with the ISF, they look at a, a lot of different factors as the, the amount of pavement in the race course, the amount of trail in the race course, and then of course the amount of, sorry, the, the, the amount of distance that's above a certain elevation. Mm -hmm. okay. And then they also look at the, the difference between the lowest elevated point in your course and the highest elevated points in the course. Okay. looking ideally to have at least a thousand meters of difference between those two locations in the race course mm -hmm. to, to meet those standards. I sort of inadvertently sort of defined how sky running may differ than, than trail running in that it, it does get you high up high in the mountains into more of a technical environment than trail running would. And I don't want to say technical in that you have to have ropes and safety gear and everything, but right. there are many points in the sky runner, sorry, in the Minotaur race course that there are like all hands on deck. Like you're not just using your feet, you're having to use your hands for stability or mm -hmm. to clamber up and over things. And um, the race course, 33 and a half kilometers long, we allow, well, you both know how long it takes you to run 33 and a half kilometers on trail. We allow 12 hours to complete yeah. our race course, which gives you an idea of, of how quickly you're moving through the type of terrain. It's also a pretty remote race course because most of our race is off trail and we're up in the mountains and on ridges. Uh, well, to give you an idea, one of our, our, our two, our first two aid stations are basically remote field camps. We can't drive there, we can't get there. So the week prior to the event is us transporting stuff into that location to set it up to be, we've got a small field hospital, we have the full aid stations, we have a full filtration system for filtering water because it's not realistic to bring that much water into the remote locations. Right. It, uh, it's a pretty remote feeling. And in talking to some of the European athletes that came over for the World Series last year, that was probably their biggest takeaway that, wow, that course was unbelievably technical. And they use the word primitive because our trails and, and we, we don't have the established trails that you see in Europe, of course. Yeah. And, um, but then this idea of remoteness just that, that blew them away. Like they, we weren't running through villages. The course wasn't lined with thousands of spectators up the mountain. <laughs> it was pretty remote feeling for sure. But yeah. I have a couple questions. What's the highest elevation that you get to in the race? So we get under just under 8,000 feet uh, of elevation. And, we're, and the race starts at uh, 4,250 um, elevation per feet. In, in okay. Our... Okay. It must be hard to flag this. How long does it take you to mark the course? It takes, yeah. So we have a team of uh, a team of volunteers, and then myself and Ian, uh, my business partner. He's uh, well, Ian, Susan, and Aaron. All four of us get out and mark the race course. Um, two race courses, but and it all has to be like we can't drive. We don't have. You can't use an ATV. It's even a mountain bike we can use to help. So everything we carry is in our backpacks. 
and we're basically going through the whole entire course. But it takes us about five days to mark the course with with a team of volunteers, and wow. we do that strictly. Um, we we want to have like a no impact event, so we don't use any paint of any type. So everything is either with pin flags, signage, or of course, yeah, or just a ribbon off of of branches and such. So okay. Oh, and my other question was: Do you know what the average uh, finish time is? Yeah, I could give you an exact average, but just off the cuff, the the average finish time was probably between seven to nine hours. So, yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Challenge accepted. <laughs> if you're picking up what we're laying down, listen up. The trails at Earl Rowe Provincial Park in Alliston have been a well-kept secret until now. We've crafted a scenic 12K loop for our rainbow trail run featuring mostly double track trail that will show off all of the best views this park has to offer. Join us this August for one, two, four, eight, or 14 loops. We'll leave the math up to you. Registration is now open. For more info, go to gotterunracing.com. Anyways, back to the show. In fairness, probably about seven hours, sorry, but that's the but the fastest time, which is going to blow you away, uh, Damien Humbert, he's from France, and he ran it in 4.06.48 last year, which I know that sounds like a long time for 33K, but when you when you watch him move, like, and he ended up finishing second in the series, so he's a pretty strong athlete, but yeah, incredible to, to wow. see them move as quickly as they do in that type of terrain. Now, are you cutting people off at, at aid stations if they're not getting there? And where do they go? Yeah, that's a good question. We, we we have what we call the escape route. So um, it's like the so if they if they run into aid station one um, and then they're not there by a certain time cutoff, we have a cutoff that sort of sends them back out onto a course and they connect with a road that then takes them <laughs> back to the course and they finish. They, they get to finish the like the last part of the race course, but it shortcuts like most of the high segment of race course. Mm. And then we have a second checkpoint. Sorry, a second cutoff coming into aid station two, which is the same. If they, if they get there past a certain time, we send them out on the escape route as opposed to the, you know, the longer leg of the course between aid stations. And uh, yeah. Wow. It'd be, it'd be nice to be helicoptered out. <laughs> it sure would. I, we, we had a lot of those comments last year. <laughs> okay, we'll get there. Yeah. But first, yeah. uh, can you explain the whole Skyrunning series, if you can, when it started and, and all that stuff? Forgive me, I don't know the answer of when the Skyrunner World Series actually started, but, but Skyrunning became a sport in 1992. It was sort of defined as a sport and, and became a, really recognized as like a separate sport from trail running. And, and that's something that the ISF, the International Skyrunning Federation, they, they sort of came up with parameters that truly define Skyrunning to differentiate it from trail running. Because there mm -hmm. are some crossovers, but they, they, they want it to be recognized as, a, as an actual individual sport to, to the point now where they're actually trying to work with the ioc to make sky running an eventual probably a trial sport in the olympics at some point but finally finally yeah finally like, something trail related oh my exactly God. fingers crossed you know that, that would be huge for the sport of sky running if that if that did happen it'd be like sort of like eco challenge in the 90s for us getting us excited about adventure racing but yeah, <laughs> exactly but, but to answer your question so there's there's 13 races in the Skyrunner World Series this year, uh, dispersed amongst eight countries in the world. So um, we're the only one in North America. They do have one in South America within a week or two weeks of our event, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, they basically run a series which is uh, yeah throughout the world. Then you, they have um, sort of uh, premier races and regular sky races, and there's there's points associated to uh, your finishing times at the race. Our race is there's points um, for the, the top sorry top 10 racers in each uh, category. And then those points are applied to sort of a series points tally, sort of like accumulated over the course of the year based on number of races you do. And then there's, then there's at the end of the series, the Sky Masters, which I believe they've got like 100,000 euros for the prize money at the, the Sky Masters this year, which wow. is pretty incredible. So they're... We're definitely putting a lot into the sport to help it grow and gain awareness for for the sport of styling. And of course, the Meet the Minotaur had to have parameters to get into the series. Certainly did. Yeah, we had to. We had to. Yeah, in terms of the fine print of the contract between us and the Skyrunner World Series, there's a lot of requirements that we must meet. Being like, yeah, we have a we have a prize podium that's ten deep, 
So um, with with cash prizing for those athletes. Oh wow! Um, certain, yeah, ranking systems and um, and recording systems that we have to provide, of course. But uh, and then of course the course itself had to meet the sky running parameters. Uh, we had to yeah. get the course certified outside of like sky running the World Sky Runner Series, which is separate from the International Sky Running Federation. So we had to have our course accredited to the International Sky Running Federation. And then be able to come back to the, the Skyrunner World Series to present our course to say, yeah, we believe we've got suitable material to, to be a part of this series. And as a runner, do you have to run so many races in order to be qualified for the win it at the end of the year? You do, yeah. You have to have uh, a certain number of points and, and be ranked to race in the finals, the finals at the end of the year. Hmm. And the cash prizing... Is that something that you have to come up with through your sponsors? It is, yeah. So we um, we, we do look to get sponsors for our event. Mm-hmm. Arcteryx is actually our title sponsor this year. So it's the Minotaur Sky Race presented by Arcteryx, which is super exciting. Any money, of course, that does come in from sponsors just helps to offset operating costs. And part mm-hmm. of our operating costs are, of course, the, yeah, the prize podium that's provided. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's an interesting format. And... The Manator falls into where as far as the series starts? Is it the beginning of the series? We're in the beginning of the series, yes. The first race, I believe, is coming up this weekend. And we're, I think, the, I could, I could look it up quickly, but I think we're the third or fourth race in the, in the series this year. Pretty early on, actually, especially considering the, the environment we're in with the snow and winter and everything like that. So, yeah. Yeah, that must cause you a little bit of anxiety. <laughs> oh man you want to talk anxiety it was a week before the start line we were out on the course and we had this massive snowfall like 20 centimeters of snow the week before our race last year which mm. was a bit panicky and and we actually even had to delay the start of our race due to snow overnight the night before so we we delayed the race start by uh by an hour or two just to allow a little bit of snow melt we knew the daytime temperatures would get up but we also knew that the, the lead racers could get into an environment that we don't want them to be in with fresh snow on the ground. Right. How far are you from Calgary, Andrew? We're two hours south of Calgary. South, okay. South south and west of Calgary, yeah. Crozenus Pass is right in the southwest corner of Alberta. So we are um, right in the Canadian, we're the the southernmost community in the Canadian Rockies, short of Waterton Lakes National Park. Oh, wow. Okay, I I have the visual now. And where is the finals going to be held? Oh, that's a good question too. <laughs> Sorry, we're directors. We we yeah. ask directing questions. <laughs> Norm, that is an excellent question because, and it's one that I'm not going to be able to answer because the Skyrunner World Series has not even announced where Sky Masters will take place yet. Oh, Whoa. interesting. So that is interesting. What if they say the Minotaur is going to be the finals this year? Then what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, as a race director, I would probably sweat a few bullets and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's possible because the actual race that's in the finals is sub- probably one of the series they actually raced before and then they're going back. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to think they would give us a little bit more heads up than that. <laughs> but, uh, but you know what? I would be honored. That would be quite the, uh, I, I know myself and my team, we would, uh, we would love that idea. As being, <laughs> and you'll get it done, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Now, this sounds like a really gnarly race. Tell us some stories about weather-related injury or weather or injuries that may have taken place or any kind of evacuations. Animals on the An- course. Animals on course. Anything that comes, crazy stories that happened during one of your events of the Manator. Cool. You know what? Okay, first of all, we've been, knock on wood, we've been really fortunate that, that short of minor injuries, we've never had a major injury. Uh, saying that, we, we have a pretty extensive safety plan in place just mm. due to the remoteness of the course mm. um, that does involve helicopters and possible long line rescuing if, if needed for sure so sorry i don't have any blood guts and gory stories to share but the, well i'm glad for you i'm yeah, glad for good. you <laughs> <laughs> that means you're doing your job <laughs> uh, for sure but uh but we definitely i i can guarantee that almost every single person that crosses the finish line is bleeding from somewhere um, <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> the, the nature of the course, it's like, I'm sure you guys have read, like, gone running in Scree or in, uh, in Talus and Rocky Terrain and that, that 
inevitable rock. We do it all the time. We just run down spree slopes and you're like, I really hope I don't take one off the ankle. But, but you always take one right off the ankle and you're like, yeah. you, you just get that nauseous feeling for a second and then and roll on with it. But so yeah, it, it's injuries like that, that that are the most common that we do see on the race course is just not cuts and nicks. And we, we live in a, like a limestone environment on our race course. So it's mm. pretty sharp, uh, like hands on deck in a lot of places. So yeah, people getting cuts and scrapes and, but we've also seen, as I'm sure you have too, but people cross the finish line and you're, you're amazed that they've run 33 and a half kilometers. And then at 33.501 kilometers, their body seizes up instantly and they plop over to the ground and they're, like, <laughs> and they're done. So yep, yeah, definitely things like that. Uh, and in terms of uh, environment, we, we do, we live right in the middle of grizzly bear and black bear country. We've got cougars, we've got yeah mountain sheep and goats. And um, we knock on wood have not had any wildlife sightings on our race course. We, we've oh. had sorry, goats and sheep, but that's also something that we do pay respect to that if, uh, if there's um, sheep or goats on our race course, then, then we, we have to respect that. If they haven't moved on by race day, then then we, we give them their space to, to live and be in their, their environment first before it was ours. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now you've attracted some big names from the OCR field, like Lindsay Webster and Ryan Atkins. Mm -hmm. And we've actually spoken to a couple of guests that have done the race before, Joanna Ford, Pat Humany. Yeah. Um, I imagine because this is part of a, a international series, you've had quite a few international runners come over. What do you think the percentage of international participation is at this point? Uh, we're probably sitting at about 15% uh, international athletes amongst our two, two events. Of course, heavier into the sky, the, the Minotaur Sky Race. Um, a lot of American athletes. We've got, we haven't had our European, we, we have Europeans signed up. We don't have the Skyrunner World Series will actually put a contingent of 10 to 15 racers into the event as well, based nice. on rankings at that time. We've got down in New Zealand, Australia athletes represented. So it's, it's really cool. But uh, I get more locally, though, and, and speaking of like Brian Atkins and Lindsay, Lindsay, who won the overall Skyrunner World Series last year, which is incredible. So, yes, they were just living in our community. They just hit the road on Saturday, actually. They were living in our community for a few months. Um, she got to hang out with them a few times, but just incredible athletes and incredible people, really. They just, but um, the the local contingent is also pretty cool to see. Like, we've, we've got some really strong local athletes. When I say local, I mean like right in Crosnest Pass, but also Squamish out on the coast and Canmore, mm. sort of being two rival outdoor communities have a yes. really strong contingent represented uh, from each of those locations that uh, there was quite a few racers that crossed the finish line last year um, in that top 20 field that turned around like we've got respectable athletes that are in that 20 to 30th position and a lot of people had said that that's one of the deepest fields they've ever raced amongst in Canada which is a pretty cool compliment for sure yeah now, would you say that Crow's Nest is becoming a bit of a hub for people that are trail running that want to be competitive? Absolutely, yeah. Um, like I said, we do have a, a pretty competitive group of runners in the Crow's Nest Pass. Um, my, our business partners, Ian and Susan, they own Spry Active, which is a, an, outdoor, an outdoor sort of an active outdoor store focused on like endurance sports, being skiing and, and, and running and well, all sorts of outdoor activities. But Mm -hmm. It definitely helped to get people into running shoes in our community. And when I first moved to the community in 2005, I was, I was running down the streets wearing my winter tights and everything like that. And somebody rolled down a window and yelled something at me that shouldn't be repeated. And, but, and, and probably because I was one of the few people doing it at that time. But honestly, now our community has grown into such a, an outdoor hub. Um, with a lot of activities going on and, and hosting a lot of outdoor events uh, and endurance events, which is, is really cool to see. So, yes, I would say that we've definitely seen a massive growth uh, in the community with, with outdoor sports and endurance athletes. That's awesome. I'm sure that Lindsay and Ryan were attracted to train because of your race, right? They, they know what the what the vert is. They know the trails and they were they were looking for somewhere to train before... I know he's heading to canyons this weekend trying to qualify for states and UTMB. So yeah. when you think about where can you go in Canada 
to train for these races in a short window yes weather <laughs> weather wise too they're really it's quite limited in comparison to other countries like if you think of the states you could name 10 places you could go oh, at the right. drop of a hat or europe but for canada it's a little different mm. i think that says a lot speaks a lot to what you guys have to offer out there and i'd like to hear that the community is growing in that way it is. It, it, it's growing in so many in so many ways, and I shouldn't even just say like the athletes and the the group, but but the community is is recognizing that like where we are in, in well, not only like topographically, but also just like where we are. We've got this opportunity of a this unbelievable backyard with unlimited amounts of terrain. That it's our biggest asset. It really is. It's just it's so beautiful, and uh, yeah, lots of opportunity for sure. What's the name of the store? I'm not sure if you mentioned it before. Right. Spry. Spry. S P R Y. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the Minotaur. <laughs> Nor's thinking of more questions. To yeah, ask. no problem. Uh, what is the DNF rate? DNF rate is probably with cut up. So because we do allow twelve hours, we actually have a, a like a highly successful finish rate. Which okay. again, yes, yeah, so we do. But there's people that were coming in after twelve hours last year, so. There is a DNF rate, but it's it's may it's not as high as you might think. Only because, again, we want to coming back to sort of like myself and my business partners and why we love this event. It's it's seeing that like sheer satisfaction of racers crossing the finish line. So trying to give that opportunity to all of the athletes to sign up. That's and great. There is a DNF rate, but it's it's not as high as one might think. Good, good. Also, it's twelve hours. What time does the race start at? It starts at seven in the morning, so we allow yeah till seven p.m. that night. So it's all daylight. It is, yeah, because yeah. we're close to the summer solstice at June twenty fourth. Yeah, it's we've, but um, well, that's unfortunately like we had some say in terms of our scheduling, but we also had to plunk into the Skyrunner World Series, of course, mm. not to, to interfere with other ones. But conveniently, I think that works well for us. From if, if I'm wearing my race director hat and thinking about the potential for emergency, as much daylight as possible plays to yeah. our advantage for sure what's your area of expertise in in the pie of race directing that you split the task between the four of you andrew what's your area um my area on race day is actually wearing the like the race director hat so i'll i'll be sort of the main point of contact and if uh if need be i would probably play more of a role in in managing an, an emergency or event if that was to take place during the, the event yeah any <laughs> plans on increasing the distance or having a series around Ooh, man. <laughs> I hope my partners aren't listening because if I say yes they're all going to be like <laughs> 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 you know it, it, that's a really good question Norman uh, I, I do want to see sky running grow so I think the the idea of having a series is probably more attractive than, than changing our existing course and increasing the distance. I think based on the type of terrain and everything, I think we've nailed the distance. I, I, I think it's a good length and uh, it, it challenges, well, not even just the, the people that are winning their race, but right through our spectrums. But I do want to see the sport of sky running grow. We all do this as a hobby. We, we're passionate about it, but it's not our full-time jobs. So, uh, so the idea of, of adding more races to a series is, as attractive and as exciting that is, that the realistic answer is we probably just don't have it in our wheelhouse to be able to to carry that out. But yeah, not to say that we we wouldn't love the idea or wouldn't love to see other people getting into the sport um, mm -hmm. and, and coming up with Skyrunner courses that would that meet the standards and truly be defined as a Skyrunning race. Does it have to be a certain distance to be a Skyrunning? No, it doesn't. Yeah, most most of them are usually in that twenty to thirty kilometer range, but. Um, okay. Yeah, it's more so the yeah having a certain distance race course, but they the elevation is the key. They they want it like ideally over two thousand meters of elevation, um, and trying to key those differences between the lowest point and the highest point on the race course. Which honestly, to take a step aside and be critical is there's not a lot of places in Canada that can really meet the standards to to define themselves as a sky running race course, which. Is why you see way more trail running races throughout the world than you do sky running races. Right. Now, you have any advice for anyone that's taking this on for the first time? What What's the strategy for the average person to take on this course? 
Yeah, just give it to me. <laughs> like pretend it's Norm. <laughs> I've never, I've never done a sky running event, so I'm coming to your race. How am I going to get through it? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to make some assumptions, Norm. That you've obviously got a really good base behind you. You know what it's like to spend time on your feet. I think the thing that gets people in our event is it's honestly the uphills and the downhills. Like the, the climbs, no one is running the climbs. Like we're pushing grades exceeding 30, 30%. So it's like wow. there could be, well, there's grades on the course, like for short periods where you have to use your hands and like clamber up through little chimneys. Like those would be like, yeah, 80% grades. But, but saying that though, the, the thing that, that usually beats people up the most is the ups and the downs, the downs and, and the, the technical type of terrain. So in one sentence, if I had to give you a training training advice, it's like make sure you're putting in the vertical, testing your quads for the downs, but also being really comfortable on undulating terrain, like well, terrain that moves underneath your feet, like nothing, mm-hmm. assume nothing is stable when you're, when you're running on the race course. Good advice. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Because basically, what I'm thinking on the average time of seven, eight hours, that's the average time of a 50K. Yeah. So therefore, they have to know that they may go in overconfident that, it's oh, it's only 33K. But no, you got to think of it as a, you're going to be out there pretty much all day. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No. Mm. Actually, no, that's a really good analogy, the 50K timing. That's that, yeah, pretty well bang on. But, uh if I thought about my race course, or if I was to run a 50 right now and then go do the Minotaur course, it'd probably be almost an identical time. Yeah. Well, I have to say, Andrew, Norm's looking for somewhere to come and do some training for UTMB <laughs> in yeah. June. Yes. So you might get a, a DM saying, <laughs> hey, can you take me out on some of your terrain? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, well, one the offer stands. If if you guys are ever interested in racing our event, I would really hope you reach out to me because I would love to have you on our start line. Oh, um, thank you. And then remember, we've got we have the mini tour 10k too. If that's if you just oh, yeah. kind of dabble in our hills, but, sounds good for but, me. <laughs> but I know you'd both be at the 33 and a half. I'm not even. <laughs> well, I'll be looking forward to the escape routes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but and, and, but on that note, if you if you want to head out west and do some training in the mountains prior to UTMB, then I would love to take you guys out on some trails and just and just show you our backyard. Like, and myself and my partners, we're we're super passionate about where we live and we love to share it with others. So, yeah, any one of us would love to take you guys out for sure. That's very kind of you. Thank you Thank very you. much. Is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of the race that we haven't asked you that you wanted to cover up? I don't think so. No, I think uh, yeah, it um, registration is still open for both events. Oh, we, yeah. We've got spots. Uh, the Sky Race is getting close to full. Like we don't have many spots left there, but the the Mini Tour, the 10K, Canada's hardest 10K, we we do have spots still left in that one. Okay. Yeah. If if you want to come out and see one of the most beautiful places in the world, just speaking to your listeners, then then come and sign up for the Mini Tour Sky Race or the the Mini Tour 10K because yeah, I, I promise you, you'll be yeah. How do we or where do we sign up? Yeah, the best place to sign up is via our website, which is meettheminotaur.com. Okay. All right. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes yep, and where people can check it out. Yep. What's the date again, Andrew? I don't think we actually said. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's June 24th. June 24th. Yeah, it's coming up. Yeah. It's coming up pretty quick for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and for reaching out. Uh, thank you guys. Likewise. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys and, uh, and, and share the sport of sky running with you. I think it's a, a pretty cool thing. And, I'm excited about seeing you guys at our start line one day. Awesome. Well, I learned a lot about sky running because yeah. I always felt that I always put sky running and ultra running in the same category, but it's not the same category. No. Yeah, it, it, it really isn't. You can have ultra sky races where they're going like about that 50 K distance. So sort of a combination of the definition, but yeah, they, they are definitely two different sports for sure. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, as a as a regular listener, you know how we end our podcast Uh-oh. with some rapid fire. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we do that right now? Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to go back to some questions that we usually have for people in our age category. We've been talking to a lot of younger people lately, and we haven't been able to do these questions. So okay. 
Star Trek or Star Wars? Oh, Star Wars for sure. Yeah. Hey, you're, you're my long lost brother. <laughs> 70s or 80s music? 80s music for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Would you rather be a professional writer, painter, or musician? Oh, that's a good question. I don't have the hair for musician, so I think I'm going to go with painter. <laughs> We've, okay, that leads into the next question, and we'll explain why. Yeah. Name a TV show that you're embarrassed to say you watch. Currently? Yeah. You know what? I'll be honest. I don't watch a lot of TV. I'm sort of like a... Like my favorite TV show to watch, and maybe I'm embarrassed to say this on air, is like is the West Wing. I'll watch that series over and over again. West Wing, wow, yeah. nice. Uh, what's another sport you'd like to excel in? Another sport I'd like to excel in. Well, I need one sport that I could excel in first. But I would, <laughs> um, you know what? I, I always, I always wish I put more focus into mountain biking. I think if I had to pick one. Um, I was probably always a better runner than I was a mountain biker. So yeah, mountain mm. biking is probably my, my one of my favorite sports. I that would be it. Yeah. Okay. Favorite junk food? Oh, Swedish berries or Swedish fish. Oh, you're a candy guy. Oh, am I ever a candy guy? Yeah. <laughs> That's maybe more embarrassing than the TV show. I wouldn't tell you about. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. Well, I got two more. Uh, okay. What hundred miler mm. is on your bucket list? You never did mention it. Mm. Oh, man. I, well, you know what? Western states are, are hard rock. Probably hard rock. That would be, and not that I've put my name for it or tried to apply, but I, I think that race just has yeah, a lot of, to, well, just the location alone. Like my wife and I have holidayed down in the valley of like Uray and Silverton area, and it would be stunning. Yeah. No, yeah, hard rock. Solid answer. Yeah. Yeah. And last question pick a superpower. Oh, well, that's a tough one, too. As a race director, the ability to control the weather. <laughs> <laughs> is, there a, is there a superhero that does that? I don't think there is a superhero. So if, if, so if I couldn't, if there's no superhero that does that, I'm going to invent it. But then if, <laughs> I, if I couldn't, then uh, I would pick the ability to heal. I would uh, yeah, heal myself and others, for sure, by touch. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that would come in handy, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> This has been awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you guys so much. Again, I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys. And um, and please don't ever forget, like I'm not, I'm not just saying this, I'm expecting an email or, or a phone call one day to say, hey, Andrew, we're coming out your way. So, Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll make good on that promise. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Great. You just added another race to our bucket list. <laughs> it's getting longer and longer. That's great. And best of luck this year. Yeah, thank you very much. And to you guys, too, with your events. Thank you right, so thank much. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, we'll keep in touch. Yeah, likewise. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, I guess we're going to Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? This podcast has really been amazing to open ourselves up to people in different places and learning about what their trails are like. And the type of running that they do out there. Because I can't imagine every day walking out my door onto this rocky, full of vert elevation. Oh, God, I'd love it. I know. It'd be so great. But I love the fact that we've met so many people. Yeah. And we have kept in touch with many of our guests. Mm -hmm. And we look forward to seeing them at races or whatever the case may be. But I love that. That's part of this community well just the fact that we had elsa mcdonald on our podcast and we met her at moab finally two yeah, years later yeah and we chatted like yeah. we knew each other yeah. because of the pod so this is cool i learned a lot about sky running because i always put them together as ultra running slash sky running but it, it's it's different category it's it kind is. of a different sport absolutely it's a shorter distance and it's above a certain altitude and technical yeah it's, I, I would imagine the ones in europe are very mm. technical too. Yeah. So, because once you get above that elevation, the terrain is totally different. It's not nice paved or pathways. That's the thing. If, if once I retire from ultra running, I'm going to become a sky runner, and that's a. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a in Ontario. You're not. 
<laughs> and that's the thing. I'm going to check out the series and where are all these skyrunning events, eight different countries? Well, if they all have 10Ks, then I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and escape routes. And escape routes. Yeah. No, it was very interesting learning yeah. about that because you're right. We don't know much about that. Yeah. Because I always just felt that it was ultra running. But no, it's not. No. So there you go. Yep. Hmm. Totally different. Thank you, Andrew. Well, thank you for bringing this to our attention. <laughs> All right. Okay. And that's it. Until next time. See ya. We are your hosts, Jody and Norman. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Please visit our website, gotterunracing.com, for more details. And join us on social media, at Racing on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can support our channel by joining us on Patreon. All of the links can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Cheers.